Thank you, everyone, for being here. I, uh, Stan and I both thought that, you know, what Lee was about to offer you, and I, if Lee can't, I will. If you didn't get a nap today, tuck in, because you're going to get one for the next 30 minutes. So, the, uh, now see, now Lee would never say that, but I can say that. So, um, oh, you, you, you folks are too good. But, um, yes, and I'll tell you what, if this lesson doesn't... Uh, past muster, then come back tomorrow night for Celebrate Recovery, and I'll give you your money back, and you can have a replacement lesson, because I'm doing the lesson on grace tomorrow night at 6. Um, and you're all always invited there, for any reason whatsoever, just to be there. We are going to wrap up the basics in a couple of weeks here, and I realized that in doing this, I thought, you know, there's, one, there's a couple of basics I didn't even hit on, and one of those is baptism. So basic. And um, I think that, you know, growing, if, you, if you grow up in uh, a movement like the Church of Christ, then you know that baptism is important. You know that it, uh, you have a sense of it. But why is it important? Um, when I was doing campus ministry years and years ago, uh, there was always a... Um, a study that I love to have, and, and by the way, this is one of my favorite topics, is baptism, and I love it when people ask me questions about this, especially when they're coming at it from different traditions or different, um, uh, different experiences, you know, with baptism, and um, you, that started in, in campus ministry when I would have a, uh, a couple, they were dating, and say one of them grew up in a church of Christ, and the other one grew up, you can take your pick, you can be anywhere. And I was always asked to do the, uh, the, the task of converting the boyfriend or girlfriend and convincing them that they needed to be baptized. I learned very quickly, I said, yes, I will have that discussion, but here's what I ask. I want you to be there as well. So let's say that some girl, she said, listen, my boyfriend, he needs to be baptized, and, you know, maybe he's been baptized. He needs to be baptized the right way, and so I want you to have the study and get him baptized. I would say, that's fine. You need to be there, too. So we would all get together, and we'd have just a wonderful Bible study, and inevitably, the person that was calling for the study on baptism would say, I didn't know that baptism meant all of that. And I was like, yep. And it's, it's not just important to be baptized, but it's important to understand what your baptism means. And from every day that you follow Christ since your baptism, that meaning is constantly shaping us and reminding us of how we're supposed to serve Jesus. I'm going to give you um, four key words with baptism, oh, there's all sorts of ways you can approach a baptism study, but this is one that I'd like to just almost try out with all of you. Four key words with baptism, and the first of those is, um, by the way, if I can get an E, then you've got four of them, A, I, O, and U is what these, boy, if I can get an E, can I buy a vowel? I mean, this is, this is good, but I've got four, and there's no sense in overdoing it, maybe the E will come along later. But the first word is imitation. Imitation. Baptism has significance in that it's an imitation. 
I remember years ago hearing someone tell me, a very learned person, they said, baptism doesn't make any sense, but God asked us to do it, so we should do it. And I thought, oh, no, wait a second. I, I don't never known God to ask us to do silly, nonsensical stuff that, you know, that, that makes no, that, that has no meaning. Even some of the stuff that God has asked his people to do in the Old Testament, it has meaning, it has significance. Sure enough, if you look at it, baptism has a form of burial and being raised, buried in water, raised up out of water. It's an imitation of the gospel event. It's an imitation of Christ's burial and resurrection. Uh, let me share a couple of verses with you. Colossians 2, and we're going to move through these kind of quickly, but Colossians, uh, Colossians 2, uh, Paul in discussion of baptism, and he's asking them to remember the baptism in which they've been baptized, um, he says in verse 9, Colossians 2, 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. There in that baptism, he says, you are participating in the, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're imitating it. And now as you go on living this life raised to newness, you continue to imitate him. Take a look with me at uh, Galatians 3. In... Um, Galatians 3, you have an image here that has to do with imitation. Uh, verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Here he says baptism is like dressing up as Christ. Uh, you know, it's not going to be very long from now and we're going to have trunk or treat and kids will be dressed up like they're heroes and they'll be dressed up like um, something, you know, pretending that there's something else. It's imitation. And uh, we've all had, you know, when we were children, when we've been around children, we see those children imitate adults. They do things that, uh, that's how they learn. Well, he says it's the same way with us. You dress up as Christ. When you're baptized, you're putting on Christ as if it's a garment. Because you're stepping into the role of Christ. So all those labels that society uses, that all those labels that culture uses to define you, they fall away. Male, female, Jew, Greek, you know, all of that. What matters most is that you're imitating Jesus Christ. He becomes the pattern and the example by which we live. Baptism is connected here to imitation, being clothed in Christ. Second key word. Second key word is obedience. Baptism has something to do with obedience. It is in itself an act of obedience, but out of baptism we live out a life of obedience. Um, in Romans 6, 
Again, one of the things that's fascinating about the New Testament in describing baptism is that in most cases, the, um, the writer is not having to convince people to be baptized. They've already been baptized, and now uh, Paul, or it might be Peter, or whoever is saying, this is the significance of your baptism, and this is what it means. So here in Romans 6, he's definitely reminding them that their baptism meant something. And so he's reminding them of that baptism. Now, this verse uh, also includes the idea of imitation. Uh, Chapter 6 of Romans, verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's imitation. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. All right, now that's what happened at the baptism. That's what it means. That's the meaning of uh, Christ's death and burial and resurrection. You're connected to that in baptism. You have access to that through baptism. And then in verse 11, he says, Now in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ in Christ, or alive to God in Christ Jesus. So do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer up any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. You know, one of the... Wonderful things about the full immersion in baptism is is that you're surrendering everything. It's all being handed off to God. Our whole body is submerged, and in that way, it it, it is symbolic of us offering our whole self. It is a death. It is a burial. And then out of that, we no longer serve sin and evil desires. We're serving Christ. Now, I understand we sin after our baptism. That, that, that continues. Baptism is also like a birth, not just a death. And like a birth, when a human being is born, they are in process. And I don't know that we ever get there in our lives, but we're in process. We are becoming human beings. And I really think that what we're meant to be, God has in store for us in eternity. But we are in process. Likewise with baptism, when we come out of there, we are in process. But the We have gone from a state of obedient to sin to a state of obedient to Christ. Are we perfect in that obedience? Probably not. But we are in moving and living in the direction of obedience to him. And that's where holiness comes in, which is another discussion. But it is a growth process. Here, baptism is obedience, and the life that we live after baptism is a life of obedience. Now we know who rules over us. Now we know who we belong to. Now we know who controls us and shapes us and guides our life. We're no longer guided by the things that we left behind in the water. Third key word. Third key word is unity. 
baptism has something to do with unity. We've already described the unity with, with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We're connected to that. But there's also a unity with one another, with all those who've been baptized. Baptism is the great equalizer. And I think one of the reasons that we celebrate when we witness a baptism is we know that there's something, that, that salvation is happening. We know that there's something good there. But it also is a chance for us to remember our own baptism and to connect to it and to realize that this continues. And everyone comes to God the same way. Everyone comes to God through Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be seen as a negative. That should be seen as a positive. It's the great equalizer. It means that everyone can be saved. No one is left out. There's a lot of unity with this. Uh, Galatians 3.27, we've already mentioned. Notice that the categories change. Um, and again, uh, this is, you know, today in the, we, we speak of diversity and difference. And yes, we're all different, and that's great. But there's some things in which we're all alike. And one of those is our need for God, our relationship with the Creator, and our connection to Jesus Christ. These categories that are mentioned in verse 28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Those were huge boundary markers. Jews were children of Abraham. They were the chosen. Gentiles, Gentile really isn't anything in and of itself. Gentile is just non-Jew. Gentile is the nations, the, the other nations, the other people, the outsiders. He says in Christ Jesus, that's no longer a distinction that we concern ourselves with. Uh, slave or free, do we, do we even appreciate how much of a difference that is? That people in a household were actually owned by other people. <clears throat> that people did not have a legal status of their own in society. Christianity didn't change that in the first century. Not politically, but it did change it spiritually. Read Philemon, and he says, you know, we all have a master. It's all, all of us. Our master is God. And he says these distinctions fall apart under Christ. There's a unity that comes about through this. Then you have uh, male and female. And again, obviously, that, that difference doesn't change. There's, there, is, there is male, there is female. I mean, that doesn't change. But you can't say that one is more significant or more important than the other in Jesus Christ. Both male and female are affirmed in Jesus Christ. Um, remember that for the Galatians, they live in a world where among the different ranks and you know, your status in society, the male would have all of the power and privilege and the female would be subordinate one of the things that happens in christianity is is that there's a mutual respect and there's a mutual partnership there you go back to verses like genesis where it says male and female he created them he created them in the image of god this is this is good i mean this is real affirmation of, of all and, and and we need to accept that um but these things are not as important as the identity that we find in Jesus Christ, and that what, that's what creates our unity. As different as we may be, if we are all baptized into Christ, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ, 
we are united in Christ, despite our differences. And living that out sometimes can be a challenge. Uh, Ephesians 4 is another verse that talks about the unity in baptism. Baptism is mentioned right along with a list of other things where there is a oneness. Uh, Ephesians 4, 4. There's one body, one spirit. Uh, as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Here, baptism along with these other single things becomes an equalizer. It represents unity. It's what we share in common as his children, as believers. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to a fractured church. Uh, the Corinthians, and uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, verse 13, um, 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. Okay, I'm going to get there. There we go. 12, 13. Um, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, and by the way, here's where diversity fits into this unity. There's different parts, but it's one body. Not every part of my body is the same, but it's all part of one body. There's the diversity and the unity. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So here that single spirit empowers all the gifts. You know, we have different gifts in the body, but it's the same spirit that empowers all of it. And it's all meant for the same purpose, to build up the body. That's what the gifts are for. So there's that unity. Three key words, imitation, obedience, unity. The last key word, acceptance. Acceptance. 1 Peter 3.21. And by the way, baptism, you'll find in Scripture, if you you look through your stories of baptism, your descriptions of baptism, you'll find that baptism is like a, a jewel that, as you turn it in the light, it has different facets. Because this one, just, just as the same way with the communion, that practice of something that is not just based in words, but eating the bread, drinking the wine, it connects us to a reality larger than itself. It reminds us that you know, it's connected to a lot of things that have meaning and significance. And we can attach different words to it, and it's all fair because we are constantly unpacking the significance of it. Same way with baptism. And so I think that's why these different key words fit, and you you may come up with some other key words. But uh, in 1 Peter, for example, the, the note, just like many notes make music, the note that Peter wants to zero in on and tune in on is the idea of acceptance and being clean. Uh, in 321, um, he is describing uh, water and Noah, uh, the ark, and in 21 he says, this water. Now of all the things he could hone in on in baptism, he zeroes in on the water. He says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. 
It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Our baptism has direct access to heaven. Our baptism has a direct connection, not only to earth, but to heaven. That is, it is such an important spiritual crossroads for us and for everybody who's baptized. Um, now, the one that I really like, the story of acceptance and baptism, you're going to find in Acts 8, a story that maybe is familiar to us. But I wonder if we grasp the full significance of what's going on. I'm going to try my best to unpack this for us. Follow me to Acts 8. Acts 8, verse 26. And I'm not going to read the entire section, but this is the story of Philip. Philip was one of the seven who was empowered to uh, feed the widows. And then the next story we read about Philip, he's out sharing the gospel. He's out doing what the apostles do. Here's Philip out sharing the gospel, and God has set up a divine appointment with an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Now, here's what we know about the man just in that. He's from the ends of the earth. And Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, some of us here have been to Ethiopia. You're saying, well, that's not the end of the earth. No, it's not. Not literally. But its old name is Abyssinia, which meant it's on the edge of the abyss. It was considered a far away place from Jerusalem. And here, represented in this single individual, you have that witness to the ends of the earth. He's also a eunuch. That means he's been emasculated. Uh, that has happened for, you know, again, there's all sorts of reasons why that happens, but it is something of an insurance policy because you'll notice that he works in the court of the queen. We don't want the queen having questionable offspring. Heirs that we can't, you know, determine exactly what their, uh, their patronage is, you know, their, their lineage. So we have to ensure that anyone who's attending to the queen cannot engage in an act that will generate offspring that we don't want. That's the way it works in, you know, a royal um, household. So he's been... He's been emasculated. Now, the thing about that is, is if you go back and read in the Old Testament, anyone who's undergone that procedure, whether it's accidental or intentional, is forbidden to enter the temple of God. That's a restriction. That's a boundary. Here is this man who's a worshiper of God. He's reading about Christ. Philip is telling him about it. So when you get to verse 36, and he says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Now look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? In King James, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Hinder. We often assume, and I did for many years at least, that the um, Ethiopian is saying, Hey, here is some water. How about we do this now? He's saying, tell me why I can't do this. He's used to it. 
He's used to people turning him away. He's used to being told, you can't come this far. He's used to being told, you're an Ethiopian, you're a eunuch, you don't qualify. You can't pass the, the boundary. You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe you've experienced that. Some people experience that every day. But when you look at it from that, and you think about all the ways that we practice discrimination throughout history. And, and I'm, not, I'm not touching on politics. I'm talking about the discrimination of the human heart and how then it gets embodied in the things that we do. We don't want those people over here. We don't want these people over here. We need to put a boundary here. We need to, we need to set some limits. You, know, the, you folks come this way. You folks come this way. There's some, there's some really chilling stories in our history of preaching schools dedicated to uh, African-American students. And yet the people who ran those schools said the students must enter through the back entrance. What are we teaching if that's being allowed? This man is used to being told, no, you can't come in here. So when he says, what's going to hinder me from being baptized? He's, I think he's making himself ready. I hear what you're saying about baptism. It sounds good. I really like hearing this scripture about Jesus. Now go ahead, lay it on me. Tell me why I don't get to be baptized. He's used to being turned away at the temple. And Philip says, uh, you know, if you believe, if you believe with all your heart. Now I know some of our translations don't include that anymore. And maybe somebody did bring that in there because they know what the answer is. And you and I do too. We know the result. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he was accepted. He gained entry because of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. He has unity with everyone else who's baptized. But he's a eunuch. Eh, we don't, you know, it's, it's Christ. He's being obedient to Jesus. He wants to serve God. He's used to a life of service. Now he wants to serve a royal throne that will last forever. He wants to imitate Jesus Christ because he's reading about it. He's trying to understand who this individual is in Scripture who was led like a sheep to slaughter as a lamb before his shear is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Maybe the eunuch resonates with this fellow and he's saying, who is this Philip? And Philip tells him about Jesus. And he wants to imitate the life of Jesus. It's something to think about. So there's your four words for baptism. There's probably some others, and maybe we can talk about them. But I think it shows us that baptism is very much a basic to the Christian walk. Imitation, obedience, unity, and acceptance. Acceptance by God is what we're talking about. God's made it very clear. I mean, God doesn't play tricks with us. He doesn't play games with us. Um, he says, you know, come to Jesus, my son. That's how you'll be accepted. We rely on him. 
Right now, we're going to uh, sing this song. The communion has been prepared. Anybody who wants to partake of communion tonight, needs to take of communion tonight, just find your way back here to room 100, and uh, after this song, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Let's stand and sing together.